I'm David Bank. I'm Imogen Ray Smith. I'm Brian Walsh, and this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. On today's show, we're going to talk about systemic racism and implicit bias. No, we're not talking about network TV's fall of sitcom lineup. We're talking instead about implicit bias in the investment management industry. The people who manage money for big institutions, such as pension funds and big endowments, are known as asset allocators, responsible for selecting external fund managers to manage their institution's money. Of the approximately $70 trillion in assets under professional management, including mutual funds, hedge funds, real estate funds, and private equity funds, fewer than 1.3% are managed by women and people of color. So why is this powerful elite industry so racially homogenous? Well, a recent study by Stanford Spark and Illumin, an impact fund of funds, suggests that implicit bias may be to blame. Now, David, Impact Alpha covered this study. Can you walk us through it? Yeah, Brian, it, it may be something of a landmark. It's kind of like the studies that used to be done around um, lending or, or housing, where they do what's called paired testing and, and present the survey subjects, the survey respondents, with, in effect, identical term sheets about the credentials of these funds. And the only thing that's different is the manager, the top, the lead manager, a black male or a white male. They, they left it at men to, to avoid gender issues, which should be studied separately. But this was about racial bias. And what was interesting, I mean, it may be a sort of, you know, dog bites man story that there's racial bias in asset allocation or asset management generally. But what was interesting is that you'd think that that racial bias would diminish as the performance of the fund managers improved. And in fact, it was the opposite. So the better the fund managers, these hypothetical fund managers performed, the more bias they faced. And that was what really jumped out from this study, suggesting that there is bias at the highest levels of the kind of global capital markets. The, the, the argument is that it floats down through all these investment decisions all the way down to actual you know entrepreneurs who get funded and then obviously products and services that get created by new ventures. So it's quite a significant study um, in, in the sense that it, it one, one sense it proves what everybody thought and in another sense it adds a lot of nuance to it. So Imogen, does the investment management industry have a racial bias problem? Absolutely. Is this a new thing? No. I mean, this is, I have a, I have a lot of problems with this study, and I actually disagree with David that it is a significant study, because I think it's sort of outcomes are obvious and well known. I also think it's absolutely true that we need to study this issue more, but I think it's conflating a lot of different things in ways that sort of don't make any sense. And I think that it is sort of self-serving, right? It's saying, oh, we want to talk about bias in venture capital. Oh, but we want to talk to large asset owners. Oh, look, we gave them a bunch of hypothetical term sheets and it proved that they have an unconscious bias. And I'm really, I'm not, like, I don't think it's particularly methodologically sound, right? And I think that a lot more goes into the manager selection than looking at a one-page term sheet, right? And I think that there is a huge amount of bias in asset management, but what it mostly is, is bias towards what people's experiences are, right? So, you know, you're doing a quick quick analysis of a manager, where have they worked? What is their track record? Who is their net worth? Who are their references, right? And because the industry is largely white and it largely hires people like themselves, you end up with a bunch of bias, right? And so that clearly is a problem. It's clearly very important. I don't think this study really does a service to that. 
Imogen must Imogen must have more advanced degrees to be able to parse the methodology. I did think one thing was interesting was <laughs> <laughs> one thing was interesting was they had to they had to draw these asset allocators into the study, right? And they can't tell them we're we're testing for racial bias because that would skew the study. So they told them they were competing with an AI algorithm for predicting the future success of managers. So they were going to, in effect, compete with the computer. And that apparently got the juices flowing of these asset allocators. And they didn't just say, you know, would we invest? Because that obviously, as Imogen said, is you're not going to do that off a one-page sheet. But they said, you know, would you take a meeting? What do you think this fund's chances of success are? How much do you think this fund will ultimately raise? So sort of, you know, proxies that would indicate their their opinion of that fund without asking them themselves whether you know they were racist so for example i think there's a good argument to be made for why a small successful venture capital fund led by an african-american male partner might be less less successful at raising capital than its white-led counterpart even if say the white-led counterpart has a less successful track record at that point, and that has to do with deal flow and the overall bias in the industry, right? So that's what I'm talking about. That's an allocator saying, I'm not racist, but all of those other people are, so therefore this guy's not going to be able to raise money. Right. I'm not racist, but I live in a racist world, and I have to make rational decisions based on that, and so therefore I'm going to reinforce these systems of racism. But no, it's more than that, right? Like This is very specific to venture capital and private equity, right? It's like... You're in a racist system. What is like? What is going to be your ability to tap into the networks that have the best opportunities, right? And that's different from, say, something like the public markets, where that kind of thing matters a lot less. Now, the counterpoint to that is obviously diversity leads to different types of thinking and gets you away from the groupthink, and that is really, really important. And I think that's one of the things that this study tries to point to where it says, as a result of this bias, people are sort of leaving performance opportunities on the table because they just go with, you know, like-looking and like-thinking managers. That is absolutely true. But again, I think it's it's really overly easy to simplify that. But what the what the study was trying to do was take on this question that has motivated a lot of these, you know, a lot of Big, big, big asset allocators and foundations and others have what have come to be called emerging managers programs, where they, you know, proactively try to help younger, newer, less experienced managers come into the market, and that was largely driven to increase the diversity. And this was what has come to be known as the pipeline problem or the pipeline solution, and that therefore, if there were more uh, managers of color, more women managers coming up, they'd be able to raise their first fund, then they would prove their track record, then they'd raise their second fund, and, all, and then at that point, the performance would speak for itself. This study, I guess, is seen as having re- as refuting that whole kind of theory of change and saying, no, it's actually when these managers go get up to their third fund and, are, and have a proven track record, they're face even more bias than they did when they were just starting out when maybe they were given a pass uh, as, you know, some kind of, you know, disadvantaged group. Yeah, that's what I find most fascinating about this study is that as the more successful seeming uh, that you are uh, the and, and as a black manager, the the more bias you face. And what was interesting in the results was, and, and, this, and this apparently is true in other studies, you know, as well, that it was harder for the allocators, for the, 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 the survey respondents, 
to distinguish between high-performing and low-performing black-led managers than it was for them to distinguish between high-performing and low-performing white managers. It was almost like there was sort of a category of black managers that sort of transcended performance or something. I, I, I may have that wrong and the data bears more examination, but that's kind of the, the, the takeaway here was that, that what you'd think about in terms of the performance overcoming the bias, that didn't seem to be true. And, and I guess the implication of this study, too, is that these asset allocators are failing their fiduciary duty <laughs> to you know, optimize for, for financial returns because if they are letting racial bias get the better of them and, and preclude them from recommending allocations to uh, black-led teams that have stronger track records, that they are exposing themselves, their portfolios to either uncompensated risk or they are somehow leaving returns on the table. So this is uh, a material financial uh, impact on the performance of these asset allocators' portfolios. You're all just trying to irritate me today. <laughs> We're trying to get a rise out of you because not, not, just, to, not just today, Imogen, not, not just today. <laughs> they're, they're not failing in their fiduciary duty because they have a racial bias because the, the, like <laughs> that's insane their fiduciary right? duty is to uh you know optimize for long-term financial value and if they are not finding if if they have an implicit racial bias that is maybe unconscious uh, is, is likely un unconscious uh that uh, is precluding them from finding and recommending higher performing black-led managers, then that means that they are likely allocating to lower performing teams that they are more familiar with that matches their pattern of allocation decisions from the past. And therefore, they are not getting the best performance. They're not getting to the best managers uh, because of this. They're not failing in their fiduciary duty. They're just racist, right? Well, no, but it throws back in their face the same argument that so-called conventional or legacy investors throw at impact investors and saying, oh, you're going to limit the universe of, of funds available to us or ventures available to us. And because you're limiting the total universe, you're going to lower our returns because of some non-economic factors like impact. And, and here what the study is saying is that they're doing the very same thing with some non-economic factors called racism. But they created an artificial simulation for how people select managers and then based off that artificial simulation came to a series of conclusions, right? And the, the reality is much more nuanced and complex than that, right? Which again, is not to defend the allocators and it's not to say that there isn't bias and it's not to say that there isn't a problem. I would rather see something that talks about what the solution should be than something that pretended to put a bunch of allocators, who by the way, for the most part, probably don't allocate to venture capital, up against some AI and said, go ahead and knock yourselves out. Okay, so I think that's fair, Bridget. Let's put aside the study for right now, okay? And let's talk about implicit bias and perceived racism in the asset management and the uh, investment management and asset allocator uh, universe, okay? So you, whether you, you disagree, Imogen, with uh, kind of some of the ways the study came about and some of its implications and some of its approaches, but you, you definitely agree uh, with the study's implications and, and results that there is implicit bias and uh, systemic racism in, in the system. Uh, I mean, this is, these are well-known facts, right? Right, I mean, right, right. So, again, so, but, so let's talk about that. Uh, what do you think, what have you seen to be most successful to overcome implicit bias and systemic racism in the investment management industry? What, what do you think works best there? 
I think that's a very difficult question to answer, right? I think that what we have that's seen... That's why I, I asked it. <laughs> Can I hazard a, a, a hypothesis without, as Imogen will, will point out, without, without necessarily data to support it, but a, a way of thinking about it to get us to, uh, to pin down? Because, because one way to go at it, obviously, is a, you know, make things race blind, right? Like have everybody be evaluated without any headshots of the managers so nobody knows the race and then their biases can't be figured. A lot of, a lot of hiring decisions are being done this way, right? So different ways of actually eliminating race from the hiring decisions. And they're fine as far as they go in, in terms of, um, you know, trying to provide a more level playing field. But I think that the way that it, things change actually is for people to recognize, as you said, Brian, the either the the higher risk they're placing their portfolios under, or the or the lower opportunities. And I, the way I think about it is, it's more like racial lens in in the similar way, like a gender lens. It doesn't mean you invest only in, in, in fund managers of color or fund managers led by you know funds led by women, but that you actually put a racial lens on your decision making so that you make sure you're you're checking your biases. So you might then see that there are black or brown led funds that have a different viewpoint on where opportunities might be, that the markets are different, that the, you know, the classic example is this Maven hair extension network that was spotted early on by Keisha Cash and, and Impact America Fund and, and others um, that, you know, have a kind of more racial lens investing strategy. And then, you know, became very appealing to, you know, all, all you know, venture capital firms like Andreessen Horowitz, because, you know, those white male led firms hadn't known there was a five billion dollar market for for hair extensions in the in the black community. And there were all these beauticians in, in, in parlors and salons in, in black neighborhoods, you know, that it were, you know, a great distribution network for this thing that lots of black women were, were, were willing to pay good money for. So it was an example of seeing something that people weren't seeing and because you actually had racially diverse managers. And isn't that part of the thesis of uh, many impact investing fund managers, right, that they say that uh, they are able to generate market rate returns or even beat the market through, let's call it, David, impact alpha opportunities by using impact as uh, as another lens through which to discover investment opportunities that might have been passed over by traditional commercial only minded investors, right? And so that if you have impact minded fund managers, if you have an impact themed approach, if you have diverse fund managers that you're allocating to, you're going to uncover and discover deal flow and opportunities that might be passed over by uh, your uh, racially biased peers. Exactly, and I, I want I want to give you just want to give Brian credit for the when we were having our pre-call here. You pointed out that the bias at some level is, you know, is possibly even stronger against impact, right? If you put up two funds with similar return, you know, characteristics, and said one was an impact fund and it was going to measure its social impact and whatnot, and the other was a pure commercial fund and didn't didn't care about impact, you know, the the, the probably the same allocators would say that the pure commercial fund. Was going to have better prospects. So, in a sense, this this racial bias is 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 another form of cognitive bias that also works against impact more broadly. Do you think though that there's a difference between conscious and unconscious bias? Like people are making a very conscious choice when they make that kind of argument around impact for both positive and negative reasons versus what we're talking about when we're talking about racial bias, right? I think it's implicit as well as explicit because there's an interesting thread on Twitter the other day around why everybody, a lot of investors are just aghast at how well Beyond Meat has done and they can't believe that there's, that it's worth, you know, more than Campbell's Soup or what have you. And, um, 
uh, and somebody else said, no, it's a, you know, it's a, a, a leading contender in a new category that looks like it's got some, some legs behind it in terms of, you know, customer adoption and whatnot. Um, and they're selling real things and they're you know, presumably selling it for more than it costs them to make it. And, you know, why isn't that a decent business? And it's because the guy was saying it's because, you know, people don't want to believe that climate change is real or real men eat meat or, or something. There were cognitive biases at work in, in, the, in the backlash to Beyond Meat as well. Right. But I, I tend to agree with Imogen, though, that I do think that what we're talking about with, with this study, and I think that uh, the racial bias is generally implicit or unconscious. Um, and I think that the impact bias is is more explicit uh, and, and conscious. You can't be an overt racist, but you can be a, a impact skeptic. Yeah. Yeah, Actually, David, right. have you been reading the news lately? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but, but we used to think we used to we think used you to think be an you couldn't be an overt racist, but I'm out of date. I'm sure. I, th yeah. I think you're convoluting two different things when we're talking about like investment in deals and the investment in funds and the growth of the fund management industry, right? And there are clearly biases in both. But I think the, the dynamics and the way to unpack them and potentially the solutions are slightly different. And again, you know, we've been talking about this in emerging manager programs and institutional asset management for 20 years, right? And it's very clear that it's very clear that emerging manager programs have not worked in the way that they were intended to, right? And so there is, it, there is very clearly a problem getting wealth and success and diversity at the top of the asset management industry where you know most of the assets and most of the power are concentrated which also raises an interesting question about what's happening in impact investing right and is there bias in impact investing and you know is there yeah. is there racial bias in and impact investing within, yes that's where within the impact investing yeah. market is there racial bias or unconscious yeah, racial or, bias yeah you know, conscious i guess as well i think the the answer would have to be Yes, I mean there's certainly implicit bias that, you know, seeps seeps through all over the place, right? Um, uh. Well, what I think you also see, and you, you you clearly see this in gender, and you you see it in race, a little bit as well, is that when impact investing started off, and there wasn't a lot of money being made in impact investing, it had a lot of diversity. That and again, think about this in terms of women. There were a lot of women on the front lines of impact investing. There still are, but. As impact investing is starting to be perceived as something that makes money, as, say, the large asset owners, the asset managers, sorry, the KKRs, the Apollos of this world, start launching, you know, the TPG risers of this world, start launching impact funds, how much diversity and how much racial diversity do those fund managers have? And specifically, you know, when we're talking about emerging managers, Racial diversity means specific things. We're talking sort of African-Americans, Hispanics, indigenous communities, that kind of diversity. And if you think about it, I think what you're, or you look at it, what you'll see is that the industry becomes whiter as it becomes more successful. And I think there is a clear line there. And you see this as well, by the way, in places like, you know, Silicon Valley and computer programming. As there is money to be made, it becomes more dominated by white men. It's not hiring one African American to lead your impact business, right? It's how many, how many, how much diversity? How much diversity do you have in, have in your business broadly? How much diversity do you have in your profit centers, and who is actually making the money? Right, I, but I also think it has to be in the impact context. It can't just be. I, I, and David, you you spoke about uh, you know bringing a racial lens to investing uh, alongside like a gender lens uh, that's been brought, and I think that it can't be 
one or the other, and it can't be the only dimension that gets looked at. I think it's an important screen, and I think it's an important framework to bring consciousness to how we think about our asset allocation decisions and who is being represented and who is uh, making those uh, investment decisions. So I think that's that's like critically important. However, I don't think it's putting a, a racial or a gender lens at the exclusion of putting a lens on the environment and worker protection and other things like that, right? So, if anything, I, it's, I, it's additive, Brian, as you say. Well, I think and, we have to look at it, it, this is where intersectionality comes into play. I think too, right? That it's it's not just saying, oh, we let's have uh, diverse fund managers who are investing in uh, extractive uh, industries that are uh, carbon intensive and exploitive of of workers and communities, right? It, it, it has to be uh, both and. But you're also, I mean, this. I have a problem with this idea that you know because i'm a woman by definition i'm going to think differently and therefore it's going to be diverse and it's going to be wonderful right it doesn't work like that it's it doesn't work like that that because you're a woman that it's impact it it has to be uh that yes you're uh, a woman and there's impact to this story uh there is impact to this fund it can't just be a diverse fund manager running a uh environmentally uh harmful uh, fun strategy, right? It has to, uh, to, to, to be true impact. We have to look at all the dimensions and an important dimension is who is making the investment decisions, who is benefiting from these investment decisions, who is generating wealth from these investment decisions. Uh, but also what, uh, is that a full chain? Uh, and what are all the dimensions of impact that are being generated uh, by those investment decisions? Well, just like a gender lens is not just hiring women or just, or just, or just investing in women, Managers, as you said, Brian, it's about you know Im- impacted women, women entrepreneurs. You know, w- you know, um, it's even about you know m- you know men in, ter- in terms of, of gender uh, equ- equity as well. So, um, it's it, a racial lens is not just one thing about as you say about you know more more black male you know f- fund managers. It's 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 really um, a, a lens on as you say the whole you know sort of finance ecosystem and who it and who and who's benefiting. And so I think that's the point, right? Again, we, we're using all the words that Imogen hates, right? I hate this notion of lens investing, right? I, I understand what you're trying to get at and what you're trying to unpack, but this idea that I'm just going to look through a lens of race or what, whatever it is, do you prefer I think frame? that it is, yeah, no, it just, <laughs> you know, it's like bullshit consulting speak, right? The point is that the system is broken. Right? And this gets back to the question of what do you have to do to get more capital flowing towards women and minority businesses or women and minority firms? You have to tackle the system. And you know, emerging manager programs didn't work because they don't tackle the system. If we say, oh, look, you know, who knew there was a market for African-American women hair care products? Well, any black woman could have told you that, right? Like effectively limiting the expertise of a minority to invest in things that that minority knows about, you know, is a racist in its own way and B just perpetuating the very system that causes this problem in the first place. And by the way, causes things like underperformance, because what we're talking about here is things like pattern recognition and vested power structures. That's, what we need to address. And that, in a sense, is where impact again comes in to the extent that it has the ability to say, no, this is systemically wrong. 
and we need to think about doing things differently. That suggests um, a follow-up study, and it made me think that maybe the original um, pretense of the study where they're trying to get these fund managers, or these, these asset allocators to compete against the AI algorithm I would like to know what the AI algorithm would would have come up with, right? Because the AI algorithm is, at some level, is representing, as you say, the system. And maybe it is, it is as you say, um, ba- baked into the algorithm in some way. That's also um, what I'm saying. Like, this is why the study is stupid, right? Because the, the system <laughs> is, it's not looking at a piece of paper. The system is, I go and do due diligence on these people. I call up the people they used to work with. Oh, I know Bob because I work with Bob here. Oh, I went to Harvard with Bob, right? And that, like... It's those networks and who you know and, and what your reputation is. The importance of sort of that background and looking like and sound, it's not about, it's not necessarily about race so much as it is ticking those boxes and being yeah, in the pattern, those, pattern yeah. matching. And yeah, and, and by the way, your, 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 your talk about Bob uh, from Harvard uh, remind me, what was that study recently of uh, a couple of years ago of there are more. Uh, uh, men named John who are like CEOs of Fortune 500 companies than there are women or something crazy like that. Uh, my my, uh, my favorite one of that is there was some AI program that was developed for, uh, res- for, for selecting job candidates. And it decided that... Um, the, the, most... the AI developed a, a, a racial bias. No, it was right? so much better than ba- that. It was like... The most successful, you're you're most likely to be a successful candidate if your name was Jared and you played lacrosse in college. <laughs> so what? So to the premise of uh, the setup of our of the show, we talked about the seventy trillion dollars in assets under professional management, and fewer than one point three percent of those funds are managed by women and people of color. So of all these, you know, uh, first time manager programs and all these uh, efforts, what? is going to be most successful at moving that number from 1.3% up. And if we are going to uh, revisit this topic in a year, in five years, you know, how will, you know, and what's it going to take to, to drive that 1.3, which is the un- really appalling. The unfortunate, un- uh, the unfortunate answer to what is most successful is legislation. If you legislate, it's a really unpopular answer because it goes against things like, you know, fiduciary duty and how we do, we do manage a selection. But if you legislate, diversity as a requirement, you will get more diversity. And we saw that in California where there's been legislation passed around board diversity and suddenly all these companies have board diversity where they hadn't in the past. If you want, and, and again, it goes to the system because legislation forces a change in the system. Now, arguably our political system is broken as well. Um, and it's not a popular solution because it's not a, it's not driven by- Market-based. Yeah, exactly. But 15 years of trying to do it in a market-based way hasn't worked, 20 years. So, unfortunately, if you want to if you want to see change quickly, that's the answer. So, if you want to see change in the system, you have to change the system. Yes. Uh, or, uh, I guess, on the bright side, uh, perhaps uh, the robots will have taken over all the jobs in the asset management industry, uh, so that we won't have the problem of racial bias at all because there won't be any humans except for the, the except for the racist robots uh, except for the racist robots and the people that, that build the racist robots and the robots will be investing in robots so they won't even have bias at the next level down either right yeah well all, the only thing we have to worry about is if the robots learn to podcast uh, but i think that's going to do it for this episode of returns on investment thank you so much Imogen Gross thank you. and thank you david bank 
thanks to both of you. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha, providing news and insights for those working to build an inclusive and prosperous future. Find us at impactalpha.com and on Twitter at impactalpha. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact at the fintech company Liquidnet. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in some sense of the word next time.